Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. I just got back from Madrid. I, I, I was in Europe for five weeks, and I spoke at several churches that, uh, a couple of the churches that we were part of starting. Uh, we, we lived in France for four years, started a church. I spoke there, and uh, it was exciting just to see, you know, the, the people that were at the church and many more over the years that have kind of cycled through, through the church. And then I was part of a conference in Interlaken, Switzerland, for missionaries, for what we call at-risk missionaries. We had about 50 men. This was an all-men's retreat. They also have a couple's retreat about six months out, and it was called Traction, and it was uh, to help missionaries gain traction. There are lots of challenges, some of them living in Muslim countries and in difficult places around the globe, and so we, we were a week with them and just uh, uh, general sessions, small groups, and then one-on-one counseling all afternoon, and and uh, uh, we actually had 12 psychologists on the staff. I was the only non-psychologist, and I was there because I need help. <laughs> and, and actually, uh, two of the psychologists went with me afterwards to Prague in, in the Czech Republic, and we were helping a church plant there that was going through a rough time. There had been some transition and people were kind of wounded and hurt, and it was really amazing to have two psychologists with me. And, and, uh, you know, and they were just constantly busy, you know, just helping process the different, different situations that were, were complex. And, and then I went to Madrid and joined another psychologist, and uh, uh, we did a retreat together. We, we call it uh, Inside Out, and my focus was on the outside, the outreach, and his was on the internal development. And so we team. We, we tag-teamed that, and then I, I spoke at the, at the church that we were part of starting. And so I got home uh, uh, last Monday night, so I was home just for three, three nights, and then we headed this way. So anyway, I, I, a year ago, and you know, I've, I've done this, uh, this what we call traction retreat for the last five years, and then I try to... To, to link to some of the churches that we were part of starting in, in Europe and uh, each year to rotate to different ch- churches. And so a year ago, uh, we were in Amsterdam and I was speaking at the Crossroads Amsterdam and then the Crossroads Hague, Den Haag, Den Haag, uh, as, as the Dutch say. And, and uh, we were sitting in a hotel room, Sharon was with me, and I was looking for something and I, and I came across this letter. And I, 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 I said, Sharon, I read this letter. And I said, Sharon, can I read you this letter? And, and she said, sure. And, and so uh, here, here it is. It says, Dear Mom, I'm sorry I haven't written sooner. I've thought about you and Dad so often, but I'm usually so tired after I get the baby to bed that I can hardly stay awake long enough to write a letter. It seems to be... Our daughter's fussy time between 5 and 8.30 a.m. I end up holding her most of the time. She's waking up every three hours again. So uh, obviously a fatigued mom. I've been able to do a lot of thinking these last two weeks alone and have come to some important decisions. 
I've really been mixed up and at loose ends until tonight. I've had such a deep longing for a closer walk with God. I knew my life has been so empty and that I was growing farther away each day from the happiness I had known being surrendered to him, to Christ. I just long for the peace and contentment I know can be mine. I've changed this last year, and I know Christ must be terribly disappointed in me. My moments of happiness are so few that I've almost forgotten what it's like to be really happy. I know I've passed up God's intended plan for me, but I've been praying somehow that God will still work in my life again and also in my marriage. I'm so sorry, too, for disappointing you and Daddy. You know how hurt I've been so often when I think of the hopes you had for me and how I failed you. I couldn't have asked for more wonderful parents. If only I could live these last two years over again. Now I realize the sorrows of sin, not particularly for myself, but for my precious little baby, how I want her to grow up loving God and finding her joy and serving him. Mother, I think of you so often. I'm concerned over my husband and how much more you must feel for daddy. We must never fail them but continue praying that somehow they will give their hearts and lives to Christ. I don't feel there's much time, so we must be faithful. I'm also praying for my two sisters. God has really placed a burden in my heart for all of you. I hope you're feeling better. Be sure and let me know if anything changes. If you have to go to the hospital, well, I must go to sleep. It won't be long before our baby wakes up again. Goodbye, dear mother. I'll be praying for you as I know you are for me. And I read this to Sharon, and, and she said, oh, she said, I wish I could meet that, you know, that, that woman, and, and, and maybe my story would help her. And I paused, and I said, Sharon, you wrote the letter. She wrote it during our first year of marriage in 1962. We were married in 1961 and early in 1962, and you know, we had a, had a baby uh, very early in our marriage. And, uh, and it was a hard time for her, and we were fighting a lot, and we were separated several times. We were talking about divorce. Uh, I, I put a lot of pressure on her. My... I wanted her to do things my way, think my way, be just like me. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> and the more I pressed, the more she began to shut down and retreat. And there was even one moment when, when I thought that she was having an, an emotional breakdown in one of our arguments. I was pressing and, you know, logical. I have a, you know, engineering degree and was, yeah, hadn't graduated, but... But uh, then I read a second letter, and it says, uh, to my dear, dearest father, and this was, uh, this was written 49 years later, there isn't 
a Father's Day in Europe that I know of. It certainly isn't commercialized, but it shouldn't need a formal day to remind me how much I love you. I carry you around in my heart, and everywhere I go, I see how much you've shaped my life. Everything I do has your thumbprint on it. So many people I work with have crap dads. I'm not sure what she meant by that, but... <laughs> or, or none at all. I sometimes feel guilty with the legacy that you've left for all of us. Just this week, each day, I heard either myself or my children tell Papa stories, how I wish you were here. We had a going away party Saturday night, and our last message at, at the church that we were planting uh, on Sunday. It was packed out, and there were floods of tears. Strong message to all who remain. The whole back wall was completely full of my non-believing friends who are just starting to come to grace. The name of the church, all seeking. They are my people. If I start another community of faith, I want, to, I want it to be called the Back Row Church. All of them in so many ways because of you. I'm in the throes of packing. He says, I don't have my glasses while I'm typing, so I am sure there are spell checks as I can't see, but I can still feel. And my heart says, I love you and thanks for being my dad. Love, Lena. And you remember that little girl, that precious little baby that Sharon wrote about, that she was concerned that she would grow up knowing the Lord and serving him while well, this was that little girl 49 years later 2011 when she wrote that and she's married to Phil Graff and, and Phil and I were ordained here at, at, at Seacoast together along with Doug, uh, Doug Dorman and uh, graciously by, by Seacoast and so my question is this what happened in those 49 years between that first letter that Sharon wrote, first year of our marriage, and then that second letter when our precious little baby had grown up and is now serving the Lord and has been used by the Lord to reach many, many people for Christ. Well, I just want to mention five things, five things that, that happened and five things that can, five ingredients to make a, a marriage last, a relationship last. And the first is that I begin to understand the gospel and opened my life to Jesus. And as I mentioned, we were unhappy, we were separated, we were contemplating divorce. I, I, Sharon I, was advised by people to leave me but chose not to because of an, a Christian uncle who said, no, you need to stay. And, you know, there's this verse in the Bible, if you're married to an unbeliever and, and they consent to stay, then you stay. And she was hoping I would leave. In fact, she was disappointed when I became a Christian because her, her exit plan was that I would leave, I would get tired, fed up, and leave. And, and now she felt like she was trapped because I, I had now this commitment to Jesus. What she couldn't perceive was that Christ would begin to change my life. And I was uh, uh, studying for a, a chemistry exam with a, with a couple of friends, and 
one of them began to tell me about Jesus, and I thought he was joking because he was always Mr. Party Animal, and, uh, you know, a little too much to drink, and we were in the same fraternity together, and, you know, a girl on each arm, and, you know, singing, and, and, uh, and he's, now he's telling me about Jesus, and, and uh, I thought he was joking, and then he told me that he'd been dating a girl who, like my wife, was a Christian, and he, like me, was an atheist agnostic, and, and one night she was killed in a head-on car collision, and he went out that night, and when he found out, and he just cried out, he said, God, I don't know if you exist, but if you do, I, w- I want to know you. And he went and talked to her parents, and they said, you know, we miss our daughter, we love our daughter, but we're going to see her again, because we have the same relationship with Jesus that our daughter has. And so he began to read the Bible, and then and he opened his heart to, to Christ. And this was just two months before we're studying for this chemistry exam. And as he shared with me, I realized this was what was missing in my life. The, this is why I had this great emptiness and frustration, and you know, was it that I needed Jesus Christ. And I went to a meeting that next night. He invited me to, and the next day I met with someone who shared just simply and clearly how I could open my life to Jesus and. And know him, and and that that began a, a whole new trajectory for my life and for my marriage. And so the first thing that happened was that I began to understand the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus, and open my life to him. And the second thing is I began to understand what love was as I began to experience Christ's love for me. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Paul writes that God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I began to to experience that and then it began to leak out in my marriage and I began to understand love and I I, I remember reading uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 which talks about what God's love is like and what our love is meant to, to, to be like. Now, Sharon and I were fighting a lot in, in, in our early days, and, and you know, I was more explosive and, and emotive, and, and we'd argue, and I would power up, and then, and then she would over, you know, she'd try to fight back, but she'd finally just withdraw, and, and, then, and then she would stay withdrawn, and I, you know, I'd feel better. You know, I got it all out and made my point, and... And then a couple days would go by, and she was still shut down, and I'd, I'd try to find out, well, what's, you know, what, what's bothering you? And, and, and then she would begin to tell me about the argument that we had and everything that I said. And I couldn't remember saying the things I said with, you know, and, and, and I thought, you know, at this point we're thinking, I'm thinking, we're going to end up in, in, in a court, and we're going to appear before a judge. And I she's going to be able to recite in detail all the arguments we had, and I can't remember, I can't remember everything because I got it out, and then it's like, it's, it's, it's gone. And so I, so I thought, I better start keeping a record of it. So I, I, had, I had this little notepad, and, uh, and I, it, we'd have an argument, and then she'd disappear, and then I'd write down, all I said was... And then she said, you know, bold letters, and, you know, and I, and I had this uh, hidden in a cigar box, 
in the bottom drawer of a dresser that I actually stole, that uh, I, I furnished our first apartment with furniture from other, other places. Uh, actually, we had a couple chairs like this, I think. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't take anything from here. But then I begin to understand God's love. You know, but love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And as I read that and I began to experience that God loved me and he separated my sins as far as the east is from the west and I had a lot of sins and he, and he buried them in the deepest sea, and he put them behind my back, all, all expressions in Scripture of, about God's forgiveness. And so I knew that, that God wanted me to love Sharon like that, and so I took that list, and in just a moment of faith, and we were still arguing, and I still could end up in the court. It was before this thing called uh, no, you know, no contest, or what, what do you call it? Uh, and and I, I tore the list up. And then a third thing, I begin to understand God's love. A second thing, I begin to understand that I was to love Christ, or love my wife as Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy. And I, I begin to understand that I was to love Sharon like Christ loved the church, that he loved me, that he loves, that loves each of us. And I, I remember that we we're still arguing, you know, I'm a Christian now, things are changing, but, but there's still, you know, there's still a lot of patterns that are entrenched and a lot of hurts and wounds that are easily triggered. And, and I felt like, I was always the one to try to mend the relationship when we had a, an, an argument, a, a, a dis, dis, dispute. And it, it bothered me because I thought, look it, I, I'm probably 90% of the time the one who goes and says, okay, hey, I'm sorry for what I said or, you know, or tell me what you, you know, what you meant when you, you know, and I felt like I was, yeah, I thought it should be 50-50. I mean, don't you think that guys, don't you think it should be 50-50? And, and, but it was, it was like 90 10. You know, in my mind, it was 99 1. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, so, so we had a chance to sit down with a guy named Bill Bright, who started, you know, we were at that point, I had turned down my engineering offers. We joined the staff of a, a Christian ministry, a student ministry. And uh, we were in Chicago, Illinois, ministering to students, but we're still arguing and fighting. And we sat down with Bill Bright, and I was able to share with him, you know, my frustration that it's like this 90-10 kind of thing. And shouldn't it be 50-50? And I remember him looking at me and saying, the man is meant to be the initiator. Ooh, I hated this when he said it. 100% of the time. And I just kind of gulped, and, 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 and I just said, okay, uh, you know, that, that's part of loving my wife as Christ loved, loved the church. Most men, when, when they, you know, conflict arises and it develops over time, they, they either shut down or they power up. I was on the power up side of things. 
But here in Ephesians 4, husbands, love your wives. It says it four times in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, the scripture, at least I can't find a, a place where it says, wives, love your husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives. That's what Bill Bright was saying to me. You, you are to take the initiative 100% of the time. And, and, it, and, it, and it, 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 that passage says, talks about cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, through the word. In other words, communication, conversation. Men, when you shut down, you shut down communication. You feel like wounded and you retreat and, you know, you've you got to get back up and you've got to step up and, and initiate the cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word. In other words, you know, a, a biblical perspective, but communication, talking, finding a way to, to get back into the game, back into the conversation together. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, that's the New International Version translation, be considerate. But that doesn't really capture what Peter is saying in this passage. It's much stronger. It's not be considerate. Okay, dear, let me hold the door open for you. And, you know, and thank you, dear. Yes, dear. You know, what is it? You know, just always you know, agreeable and nice, but in your heart, maybe not so much. But the, the, the passage says, be considered is gnosis. It means to know her. That is to really know her, to listen to her, to understand how she thinks, how she's wired, what, what motivates her, what, you know, there's so much in that. And then it goes on and says, it says, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. But again, that's not as strong as Peter is, is communicating. The word respect is a Greek word that means precious. To treat her as though she's precious. As the weaker partner, it doesn't mean, you know, that you know, she, she hasn't got any, anything going for her. And it, it, you know, physically, I'm much stronger than my wife. And I can use that strength you know, to intimidate, or I can use it to serve. And, and, and so to treat her as she's precious, as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing may hinder your prayers. So I begin to understand the gospel. I begin to understand God's love. And I begin to understand that I was to love my wife, as Christ loved the church. And a fourth thing is I begin to understand grace, the grace of God. And the word grace is used eight times in the Old Testament. It's used 121 times in the New Testament. It's kind of a shift. And, and the last verse of the Bible ends with the, the word grace. Almost every New Testament epistle save a couple, begin and end with the word grace. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone boast. 
In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I began to understand grace, and this was a little bit farther along in our, in our marriage, and I was, you know, still at times putting pressure on her to, you know, one of, one of the areas of conflict we had was in the kitchen. My wife is really a great cook, and uh, I'm not so good, but, but I was a chef, and, and uh, you know, I worked in a very busy restaurant, and, you know, going through college and, you know, summers, and, and uh, you know, part-time, and just to to get through school and and uh, when Sharon was in the kitchen when I was in the kitchen you know you would you were taught we were taught that you put everything back in exactly the same place that you get it right because it's busy and you go you got to get something if it's not there it's chaos where is it and 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 so in our kitchen I would go and I kind of look for the salt and the salt wouldn't be where the salt was the last time and so I'd Sir, Sharon, where's the salt? I don't know where the salt is. So look around. It's in a cupboard. Okay, cupboard. So next time, look for the salt. Not here. It's not in the cupboard. Sharon, where's the salt? I don't know where the salt is. And so I, I, I would find it in the refrigerator. Oh, okay, the salt's in the refrigerator. <laughs> the next time, where, where's salt? You know, look at all these places. It's in the car. So... <laughs> And, and, and Sharon's creative, and she's relational, but she's not structured, and I'm structured, and so I would give her this little talk, I had this little talk, and I, I, I would actually, I didn't put on my chef's hat, but I put on my, my chef's voice. Now, now, Sharon, when I was a chef, we were taught to always put everything back in exactly the same place. And, and you know, she'd say, yes, dear. And then the next time, you know, it's not here or there. Sharon, when I was a chef, <laughs> we, we were taught to put everything in exactly the same place. And I probably gave her that lecture a hundred times. And she hated that lecture. And then I began to understand the, the grace of God. And instead of criticizing her and lecturing her and pressuring her, you know, not just in that area, but other areas too, I begin to just serve her. Oh, here it is. Okay. Oh, we'll get it right back here. Yeah. All the pots and pans are down different. I'll just take care of that. This needs to be cleaned up. Mold in the refrigerator. Well, it looks like an, a creature, a creature in there. Well, I'll just, you know. And, and it, it began to change our relationship. It began to change the way she responded to, to me. I began to understand the grace of God. And then I began to understand a fifth thing. I began to understand that our marriage, my life and our marriage had a purpose, that God had brought us together for a purpose and we were wired differently and, and yet somehow those, you know, those differences could complement and, and, and integrate and and that we, we could begin to carry out the purpose for which God has us. Remember that letter, 1962, Mother, I'm so concerned. And I had, when I read her the letter the first time, I took the names out. I took my name out, our daughter's name out, her sister's name out. But she says, Mother, I'm so concerned over Linus and how much more 
concerned you must feel for daddy, Sharon's dad. Their mom was a Christian, her dad wasn't a Christian. Sharon was a Christian, I wasn't a Christian. She says, we must never fail them, but continue praying that someday they will give their hearts to Christ. I don't feel there's much time, so we must be faithful. Two years after she wrote that letter, I became a Christian and began this journey. And three years after she wrote that letter, I had a chance to sit down with her father, uh, Johnny, and... and uh, talk to him about Jesus. And, you know, I didn't like my father-in-law because I knew he didn't like me. <laughs> and he didn't like me because of the way I treated his daughter. But I began to treat his daughter differently, and he could see the difference. And when I sat down and told him I'd become a Christian, he, his response was, this is literally what he said. We were sitting on these steps going into a basement in Portland, Oregon, and he said, if God could change Linus, God could change anybody. <laughs> and then I went through this little outline of how you could become a Christian. My father-in-law prayed with me to, to, receive, to receive Christ. And Sharon and I began to realize, and I began to realize that our marriage had a purpose and that God, God had brought us together for, for a purpose. And, and over the years, uh, we have grown and God has healed the damage that we and I especially inflicted. And he's brought us close together and showed us his purpose for our marriage. And part of that is that our children would know Christ and experience his love in their lives. And all six of our children have done that in are living that out, and, and uh, now we're working on our 16 grandchildren, and, and we got three great-grandchildren out there. It, it, I mean, it, it gets scary. <laughs> so here's my question. What can God do in your life and in your relationships and in your marriage or marriages if you turn to him? And, and women, here's my, my, my encouragement to you, is will you continue to trust Christ, whatever your circumstances have been or are? And will, you, will you draw your strength from him? And will you hang in there, whether you're single or married, divorced? And, and, and men especially, I want to say, will you... Turn to Christ for his strength and rise to the challenge of being the man that Christ has called you to be and that you can be through his power. And will you love your wife if you're married? Will you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Will you aspire to that? I mean, it's not like, oh yeah, I'll do that and then you, you aspire to it and then it forms over time as you keep getting back up, you keep getting back in the game. And, and will, you, will you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Will you prize her that we begin to change the way you're thinking instead of being irritated and noting this and this and this, we begin to focus back on 
the positive qualities and, and the, how precious she is to God. And that you have to treat her with that same preciousness. Uh, will you get back up when you feel disrespected or indifferent? You don't care anymore. Will you, will you man up? Will you man up? Will you do that? There's three, three short steps. Uh, first of all, acknowledge the coldness of your heart. Our hearts grow cold. We have to go back. We have to renew them over and over and over again. That's what this is all about. When we come here and we warm up again as we worship and we hear the word and as we connect with people who are aspiring to, to follow Christ. Will you acknowledge the coldness of your heart and will you ask God to restore your affections? God, will you restore my affections? Psalm 40, verse 8, the psalmist says, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, I delight. Will you get, aspire to that? And then, so acknowledge, ask, and then will you act on what you want God to restore? That is to rekindle your delight. So you act on it before you feel like it. I got an email uh, just a short time ago from Sharon, and of course she's, she's here, but, but I, I love this email. Well, dear, through all of this, I just want you to know that you are the love of my life. And the man I am so anxious to get a hug from soon. One, one last thing. You know, I talked about five things to, to make a marriage last. But, but I also want to apply it to the church. And, and I want to commend this church. And I want to commend your pastor and his, his associate or assistant pastor, co-pastor, uh, Karen, and that uh, for focusing on the gospel, that's what this church has done, continue to do 20 years. I'm, I'm just so full of joy. And, and, and you focused on Christ's love. And that's as a church, you know, the gospel, Christ's love. You focused on loving others. That's why many of you are here, because you feel loved, and now that love is working its way in, and then it's working its way back out to others, and, and focusing on his grace, his grace, which includes being gracious and putting the emphasis on what you're for rather than what you're against. There are a lot of churches that are known for what they're against, but this church is known for what it's for. And being, being thankful for what you have rather than discontent for what you don't have. <clears throat> and this church has focused on the mission that Christ has given you to know him and to make him known. And so, uh, just in closing, I want to just uh, pray, let Tim come back up, and, and commend. Pardon me? I thought somebody said something like, get out of here. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Let's pray. Father, Father, I, I just want to pray. And then I want to especially address you right now just as lift up your heart to God and say, God, I want to get back in the game. Or maybe you're in the game and, and, and praise God that you're in the game and you've been getting back in the game and just, just say, God, I want, to, I want to stay in the game. I want to keep getting back up and keep pressing toward what you've called me to.
to, to be and to do. And, and if you've been on the mat, you've been indifferent in your marriage, or you've shut down, or you've been powering up, we just say, oh God, change my heart, oh God. We do that. Just change it, God. I, I, I want to be more, more and more and more like you. And we, we just work in me to do that, Lord. Will you, you know, help me just to draw from your strength to do that. And Father, I want to thank you for this church, for its leadership, its pastors, not just the Tim and Karen, but for the whole staff that just exemplify uh, what we've been talking about this morning. And I pray your blessing and, and, and much fruit on this church and on each person here uh, as you have been a blessing sharing me over the years with much fruit. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, Linus. How about that? Yeah. Man. Well, our prayer teams are going to be down front. Uh, please don't come to church and, and not receive prayer, and uh, especially around the, this issue. Also, Wednesday nights at our Vine Life, Chris and Susie Skinner right back here, they lead a group for uh, married couples or, you know, if you want to be married or if you're engaged, here comes Chris right here, and uh, they lead a group on Wednesdays, and they're having a wonderful time, and so what a great way to follow up on all of this. So uh, let's stand. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for gathering to worship together as a body, as a church. I thank you, Father, for uh, a word from you through a good friend whom I know lives this and also, Lord, loves us and uh, loves you. And so we take this to heart. We ask for you to bring much fruit from our lives, Lord, from it. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that, yes, and while we were so far away, such broken people you died for us and that for the joy set before you lord you endured the cross the joy of having us as your brothers and sisters lord thank you lord let your grace come alive and your mercy flow out of our lives in powerful ways to one another and to this broken world father in jesus name amen god bless you guys we'll see you next week thanks for listening to the seacoast vineyard podcast we are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.